Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. I'm Oliver Hartwig. I'm joined today by Matt Burgess. Hi, Matt. Hi, Oliver. You are in the process of writing a column for the New Zealand Herald. It will run sometime later this week. And it's a look at resource management reforms. We've been very critical of the IMA for a long time, along with other organizations. So the IMA is finally to be replaced. That can only be a good thing, right? Well, the government's looking at, uh, at long last, getting a fundamental reform of our planning system underway, and it's uh, delivered the first of three pieces of legislation that's going to do that. Uh, at the end of June, the government, David Parker, Minister for the Environment, announced the uh, Natural and Built Environments Act, NBA, uh, which is the first of three pieces of legislation uh, to be followed by the Strategic Planning Act and the Climate Adaptation Act, which will, uh, those last two pieces of legislation will come out uh, next year. So this is a first glimpse at how the, th the government is thinking about what the new planning system is going to look like. Obviously the task of replacing 800 plus pages of planning ledge developed over 30 years, all the precedent um, and norms that have come out of that is a mammoth task. The interesting thing about what the uh, government's come out with with this new bill is how short it is. About 20 pages long. Well, uh, that sounds good. It sounds good, but it's it's short for, um, well, questionable reasons. One of them is because uh, there's a lot of placeholders. There's a lot of thinking that hasn't yet been done in the uh, bill. The other reason uh, is um, rather more serious, reflects a lack of thinking, uh, I think, that's gone on to date. Now to be fair, uh, there's an awful lot of work going on, officials are stretched, um, they're busy, there's only so much that you can do in a given amount of time, but this bill has come out far too soon. The bill still says enough in its 20 pages to tell us how the government's thinking about how planning is going to work. And the strategy from the government uh, is really in two parts. The first is to give a list of outcomes that it wants planning system to achieve, and that list includes everything from protecting the natural environment, as you'd expect, to housing affordability, infrastructure, climate change mitigation and adaptation, respect for the Treaty of Waitangi, or in fact giving effect to the treaty, uh, urban and rural development, culture, uh, protection of society and so on, uh, communities and people. It's all in there. Uh, so planning has to do everything, it seems, as it has with the RMA, arguably a significant source of problems with the RMA. The second part of this is how new ledge will come into effect. And it's all through regulation in the hands of one person, the Minister for the Environment. So the really scary thing about this new legislation, as short as it is and as an early draft form as it is, is that the government is signalling that it wants to put tremendous power in the hands of one person, effectively re-establishing the powers that uh, a certain Robert Muldoon used. And I'm saying this without any exaggeration, the Minister for the Environment will be given the same sort of sweeping powers that Muldoon used to decimate the New Zealand economy 40 years ago. The list of objectives in this draft bill is really impressive. So apart from maybe education, <laughs> healthcare it? and defence, everything else will fall under this bill. Again, without exaggeration, you could say that a bowl of fruit on your kitchen table is going to be covered by this bill. Its scope is effectively everything, to do at least to do with land use. Uh, the bill refers to culture, society, people and communities, rural and urban areas. Um, it's, it's going to set bottom lines that will be things that you cannot breach or mitigate in any way. There will be hard bottom lines, and the bill treats cities and non-urban uh, areas as one, which implies that these bottom lines are going to be applied inside cities as they would be in, in other areas as a way to protect the environment. 
this is pretty serious stuff. Uh, this is going to have very deep consequences potentially right across society. And we've got a process that doesn't seem to be thinking very hard about what the nature of the problems that we've run into under the RMA are and any kind of focused or targeted uh, attempt to deal with those in this new ledge. What we're seeing is a lack of willingness to take the lessons from 30 years of the RMA and apply them in this new reform. It's just another version of let's get planning to do everything and let's get one put all the power in the hands of one person who can coerce cajole, whatever, their way to all of these nice outcomes. It's just not a sound basis for doing anything. I have a certain sense of deja vu in all of this because um, we've had the same kind of conversation when it came to the Zero Carbon Act. So actually the government is trying to centrally plan the economy not once but twice with different pieces of legislation and different ministers involved. That's right. We're seeing a pattern and I think actually this Natural and Built Environments Act is the first part I think the best is yet to come. We're going to see the government later this year deliver its uh, emissions reduction plan, and that that could be extraordinary. That's going to cover uh, everything uh, to do with emissions, which is to say everything. And then we're going to see the Climate Adaptation Act next year, and I suspect that the main thing that that act is going to do is going to be the legislative vehicle that gives effect to the plan that Shaw is going to deliver at the end of this year. At the moment, so what is the relationship then between these different plans, between climate change and land use planning? We don't know yet because that's a placeholder. But I suspect that the relationship is going to be that Shaw will deliver his plan uh, later this year, but it will have nothing that will be giving effect to it. He will deliver his plan. Everybody can say, that's nice. Thanks very much, Minister. We'll get on with our lives. Next year, the third part of this um, three-part legislation will come in the Climate uh, Adaptation Act. I suspect that's going to be the vehicle that points back to Shaw's plan that he delivers this year and says you have to comply or here are the penalties if you don't. So you have references in this Natural and Built Environments Act to climate change, but all of the meat that has to go on the bone uh, we'll see coming in on that um, third piece of legislation next year. So what you sketch here really sounds like blueprint for a planned economy except in previous um, iterations there were five-year plans this is more like a 50-year plan well this is this is whatever the minister decides he wants it to be actually uh, there's nothing about in the ledge that we've seen so far there's nothing about time frames almost everything is just left up to the minister to decide what is written down provides effectively unlimited scope and then defers almost all of the detail to the national planning framework. This is the minister's vehicle. All of the detail is going to be in that. Now, any as it's currently drafted, anything pretty much could go into that plan and can be changed at any time uh, according to the whims of the minister of the day. So and in other it words... Were, and if it right was only a minister, that would be bad enough. But actually, it's not just a minister. It's unelected officials. At least a minister you can theoretically kick out. Well, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's right, actually. Uh when you're dealing with this, this level of complexity, uh, you well, you have somebody like uh, an extraordinary personality like Robert Muldoon who can take control and probably do about as good as job given their, their tremendous abilities and standing. Uh, but in most cases, you're not going to have somebody like a Muldoon. You're going to have a David Parker. And so the balance of power is going to be sitting with officials in ministries. Now, with the best will in the world, these people cannot know what it takes to run an economy to protect the environment, to do all the things that we want to have, but to manage the trade-offs that we're talking about here. We're talking about trade-offs between how cities are run versus natural environment. 
versus uh, emissions versus respect or giving effect to the treaty. Now, these are enormously complicated things. And the model here is to put all the decisions in the centre in the hands of comparatively few people and ask them to make good judgments. Well, I'm sorry, which part of history tells you that's a model that's going to succeed, especially? You know, it's hard enough on economies. I would argue it's even harder when you try to solve environmental problems by managing the economy. You're taking all of the complexity of, of, of large-scale economies and then overlaying uh, environmental problems of emissions and natural environmental protection on top of that. It's even harder. Really, there's no basis for, um, for thinking this model is going to succeed. Now, Minister Parker is probably a politician not well known for doubts in his own abilities. But um, even a minister like David Parker would recognise that um, there might come in the future ministers less enlightened than himself. So how does he plan for that? Because I think actually David Parker has this mission to redo the economy and redo the country. He believes in his ability to do that. But how do you set up a system as a minister that would actually survive after your departure. Well, Parker's wrong about that. Uh, nobody can deliver on the job that he's giving himself. Uh, he may well be co capable and competent. I have no idea. Um, well, but he believes so, I think. Well, good luck to him. Um, he's wrong because the problem is just too hard for any one person to deliver on. But Parker made a very good point in the House four years ago. Nick Smith at the time was proposing um, to expand his regulatory powers under the RMA. Parker quite rightly railed against it and made the very good point that... Um, we had the Economic Stabilisation Act for 30 years before Muldoon finally turned up and abused those powers to the point of bringing the, the economy to his knees. Parker made the very good point that even if you've got a Minister for the Environment this term and the next and the next who means well and is competent, what about the Minister after that or after that? And uh, so the point four years ago that David Parker made very rightly was to say, he asked the question, who in their right mind would be handing those powers across to a Minister? Well, indeed. And yet here we have David Parker, four years later, as minister, no longer in opposition, uh, deciding that he needs to take control of everything. And I do mean everything. And in a much stronger form than Nick Smith even proposed. Order of magnitude stronger. There's nothing that this minister will not have direct or indirect control of, how we live, how we work, how we play. I think New Zealanders need to be aware of just how extraordinary what we're talking about is. Now... The one thing you would say in the defence of Parker and the officials that have worked on this, this is an exposure draft. We're right at the start of the process here. The but it question shows is, the direction of travel. It shows the direction of travel, and you've got to ask the question, you know, how much of this is going to buff out um, through select committee, through um, the second round of public consultation that will go ahead. I think what these it, 20 pages... It will pages, probably go ahead because it's already in the spirit of the Renderson report last year. It, exactly, and the government signalled its, um, its command and control tendencies elsewhere already. So I think this... The direction of travel has been signalled. That's not going to change, I don't think, um, at least while this government's in power, at least while it's got a secure majority that it has. Uh, we're going to get ledge that gives the Minister for the Environment an awful lot of control with far fewer checks and balances that are currently in place. We're looking seriously at um, powers back in the hands of Cabinet uh, that are in line with what Muldoon used to wreck the economy 40 years ago. Isn't it ironic that for years we've been asking for reform of the IMA or ideally a repeal of the Resource Management Act and now that we get it or we are about to get it we actually feel a little bit nostalgic perhaps about the good IMA times where at least you know what you were at. You know, the, the, there's, two, there's two depressing things here. One is that this is pretty much repeating all of the mistakes that we know led the RMA um, 
we're in this housing affordability process for a reason. It's because you ask officials and, and councils to do everything under the Planning Act. Yes. Well, guess what? They're going to use those powers. And uh, we're going to ask them to do even more now. We're going to ask them to do even more. The, the other sad thing is the opportunity here is to figure out what planning is actually good for and to only do those things and stop doing all the other things that, um, you know, there's no question there are worthy objectives listed in this this exposure bill. The question the government hasn't considered is whether planning is the right way to deliver those objectives or whether there are alternatives. And the so classic what's your recommendation is, then? Would you stop the legislation now? Stop the legislation. Is the, this actually savable? No, it's not. So the ledge has been, it's an unusual process. Parker hasn't informally introduced this bill into the House. He's tabled it and then sent it directly to the Environment Committee in Parliament. The Environment Committee um, has just closed public written submissions. This week it's opening um, oral submissions. I'm presenting to them on Thursday. I think the conclusion from the Environment Committee should be, um, thank you, Minister Parker, for your very interesting bill. Um, we've got a housing affordability crisis. You need to be focused on that. You need to target the bill, your new planning legislation at that problem. Uh, you need to stop worrying about all these other things. We've already had one Muldoon. We don't need another. Thanks very much try again. The likelihood of that is close to zero because the government has a majority in the committee. Well, our job is to make clear, I think, to New Zealanders the seriousness of what we're talking about here. The ghost of Muldoon is in the room uh, and he can be shooed away by an environment committee that says we've tried unlimited executive power. It didn't work. It didn't work for the economy 40 years ago. It's certainly not going to work for the natural environment this time around. Minister Parker, with the best will in the world, um, we don't know who's coming after you or the person after that. And on that principle, we must reject your call for unlimited executive power. We like checks and balances. They protect the economy. They will protect the environment. You need to do better. Try again. So our submission to the Environment Committee will be to um, ask the Minister to start again. Thank you, Matt, for educating us on that. And thanks for educating the public. And I hope you will also be successful in educating the select committee on Thursday. But for now, all we can do is watch and see what happens with this NBA bill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.